Hey, everybody. On the podcast today, we have Judge Wayne Mack, one of the most principled leaders we have had the opportunity to meet. He is the Precinct 1 Justice of the Peace for Montgomery County, Texas. His self-described path, quote, from janitor to judge, end quote, is incredibly motivating. Starting out in the 1980s, he took an overnight janitor's job to supplement his income, which started his career path unbeknownst to him at the time. He has now served Montgomery County in a number of positions for nearly 35 years consecutively. Receiving promotions due largely to his work ethic, focus, and utilization of the success equation E plus R equals O, events plus response equals outcome. Judge Mack became the county's director of building services in 1995 and served in that position for nearly 20 years before being elected as Precinct 1 Justice of the Peace. He has authored a book titled The Directed Path, published in 2017, and is an in-demand public speaker in the Houston area and an overall phenomenal human being. Talk about his goals for his newly minted, at the time of recording, second term in office, as well as the challenges and surprises he has faced along the way. We do get into one of his passions, which is his mission for mental health CPR and his goal of raising awareness and destigmatizing mental health issues. This is a great listen if you are into leadership qualities, if you are fascinated by people that have continually seized every opportunity in front of them and what they did to maximize their potential. While you are listening to this podcast, if you would rate and review the podcast, that would be incredibly beneficial to us and to our guests. That helps us to reach more listeners. If you also would be so kind and share this with your pals and buddies on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything in between, that would be hugely beneficial for us. Lastly, if you have listener questions, please send those over to us using the hashtag AskESCPodcast on social media, or you can email us at Elizabeth at EversonCooper.com and use the subject line AskESCPodcast, and we will feature your question in an upcoming podcast. So without further delay, please enjoy our conversation with Judge Wayne Mack. Welcome to the Everson Cooper Podcast. We are entrepreneurs that are interested in what makes people successful. In this podcast, we sit down with a wide range of people with diverse perspectives and backgrounds. We dive into the obstacles that they've had to overcome, their successes, unique experiences, and everything in between. Our goal is to continuously learn from those around us and share their knowledge so that we can all find something that makes us better and makes those around us better. We hope you enjoy. Judge Mack, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be part of this. We're honored to have you. Thank yeah. you for taking the time to spend with us and share your story and all your wisdom. I know it's going to be great, so we're really excited. I'm excited to be a part. Thank you for the privilege. Yes, sir. An incredibly busy schedule. You are a public servant, uh, and we'll get into what that means and what that means to for, for you. Uh, certainly every person that is an elected official, they're job is a little bit different, responsibilities are a little bit different, but then also the passion and why you chose to go into public services is a little bit different. Uh, and so certainly want to be mindful of um, all of the different obligations and responsibilities that you have. But I do, that's where I'd want to start is you are the Justice Court Judge of District 1 yes. in, here in Montgomery County, Texas, just north of Houston. Uh, and effectively, you're the Justice of the Peace. Correct. So talk about what that is, what you do on a regular basis, your your day to day, if there is a normal day to day, all the all the the fun stuff that you get to do. As well, being justice justice, justice courts in Texas are not the highest courts in the land, but we're the highest volume courts in Texas. So across Texas, millions of people interact with justice courts every year, and so it's a people's court. Uh, we handle everything, uh, Class C, misdemeanor, criminal offenses, anything you can be written a citation for, uh, finally offenses happen in the justice court. The other, the, We also have a civil part of our court where we hear civil cases, $10,000 or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new legislative session, we're told that there's some pretty strong uh, possibilities that that jurisdictional limit's going to go to 20000 
and um, and so we hear civil cases, dispute between neighbors, and you know issues. I've I've had everything you can imagine from dead chickens to bed bugs. I mean, I, we we've had it all, and uh, I got to tell you, the bed bug one kind of creeped me out a little bit. But um, we we so we hear those type of cases. We're also the court original jurisdiction when it comes to landlord tenant relationships, mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't matter you live in a ten thousand dollar house or a $10 million house. If there's an eviction or foreclosure, that happens in a justice court. We're the court of original jurisdiction when it comes to those matters as far as eviction and property owner rights in Texas. Mm -hmm. And so that's the part of the job that is in a judicial responsibility. But in Texas, there are 254 counties in Texas. And of those 254 counties, only 13 of those counties have a medical examiner's office. Mm -hmm. So in addition to my judicial responsibilities here, at my two offices here in Willis and one in Montgomery, is I'm also the coroner. And so anytime uh, someone dies, uh, we have to do a death investigation if it's outside the care of a doctor or sometimes in the care of the doctor. Mm -hmm. If they pass away at the hospital with less than 23 hours, we have to do an inquest. Uh, any, Any traffic fatalities, homicide, suicide, natural deaths, they have to contact the, the local JP to, to do an inquest. And so people, a lot of people say, well, JPs are there to pronounce people. We're, we're not there to pronounce anybody because they're already pronounced or we wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. What we are there to do is determine the cause and manner of death. And we do a separate investigation independent of, of uh, law enforcement. Now, we utilize the law enforcement, but we have to come to the determination of the cause and manner of death uh, on our own. And it's 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 meant it's a separation of powers. It's meant to protect people uh, from the legislative and executive branches of government. It's one of the and, and, and that's that's what we do. Yeah, and, and that happens pretty regularly. Mm. So, so we'll, we're always on call and always working. I was yeah. I was just going to mention that you pretty much are a twenty four hour a day. You you have that responsibility. You know, someone could pass away at three a.m on a Sunday morning and you know, you might get that call. That's, that's part of your responsibility. Yes, sir. Yeah. <clears throat> so you've been in this position, you, um, and, and I'll let you tell the story, but so you won the primary in 2014, but actually you, you went through the election, but then you, you actually started your term or, or fulfilled the outgoing uh, judge's term. In yeah, Judge Moriarty, yeah, Judge yeah. Moriarty retired early. He was having some very serious health issues. And so, once the election was over, he he, res- he retired, and mm-hmm. then uh, I got to come in uh, early. And so I, I wasn't really prepared to, to do that. I was, <laughs> was going to win in March and go into office in January, so I had a kind of a quick, you know, four- yeah. or five-week window there where I had to get prepared because ready or not, here we go. Wow. And um, But it's just such a, I love what I get to do. You know, one of the highest honors a community can give anybody is public trust. Mm-hmm. Whether you're the justice of the peace or a judge of district courts or commissioner or any elected position, mayor, school board, that's a that's a high honor, mm-hmm. and it's a it's very uh, I feel very privileged and blessed to be able to to serve in this role. So talk about that that moment in time that that surprise you know you were expecting to you know win the election in the fall you know be sworn in in January and what mid 2014 you get the call hey uh, you're going to come in and and, f- and fill this so talk yeah. about that well the, you know, day, the day after the the day after the election uh, my commissioner Mike Metter called me and said uh, you need to buy a rope <laughs> and and I was I'm like excuse me he says uh, Lanny's going to retire and mm-hmm. and uh, you need to and they wanted me to take office almost immediately. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. And I was a department head at the, mm-hmm. the county, you know, the, the building services of department. And so I knew there were some things I had to get taken care of there. And, and so we hit the ground running. But we were prepared and had a great team and, um, and great staff up here. And so it was a, it was a very... Uh, it was kind of a whirlwind, mm-hmm. jumping and go, baptized by fire. Yeah. And uh, the, my first 30 days in office, I had seven days, seven nights of uninterrupted sleep. And I, I was thinking in my mind, my Lord, what have I got myself into? And uh, But it's, you know, such, again, you get to help people every day. Mm-hmm. So whatever part of my duties, whether it's on the bench or like today where I was helping that family that had tragically, unexpectedly lost their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very blessed to, 
to be in that role and to be able to help. And, and um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, that God does not need our abilities. He needs our availability. Hmm. And if we'll make ourselves available, he'll use us. And I feel very used and, and blessed in this position. That's wonderful. Now talk about... <clears throat> During in your in your first term, now obviously coming into office early was was a surprise within itself, and you're just trying to, you know, like you just said, baptized yeah. by fire. Yeah. Talk about the the first couple of months, or even even just your first term in general. What were some of the things that maybe you expected? You're like, okay, yeah, great, I expected this, uh, but then some of the things, uh, maybe these, you know, for example, the seven nights of or seven uh, nights consecutive that uh, you yeah. didn't have, uh, you know, full sleep or whatever. Yeah. Uh, talk about some of the things that were surprises or they were unforeseen obstacles that you couldn't, you didn't really think that you were gonna yeah, you know, the, face. The, the one and only thing that has surprised me because. For 20 plus years, I was asked to seek public office, and my kid get out of free jail card on that was I would I would tell everybody I will only run for the position of justice of the peace, and I had friends in those positions, so it was kind of my get out of free jail card, so I didn't have to. And then, <laughs> and then when uh, Judge Moriarty announced that he wasn't going to mm-hmm. run, I had a plethora of people in the community and stuff seek me to drop to to be in this position. So I I knew what the roles were, and then being a police officer and being in JP courts and municipal courts, I kind of had a feel for that side of it. Mm-hmm. What I wasn't prepared for was the number of suicides that we have in our community. I was within the first few months of being in office, I had no idea mm. that that we have the number of suicides that we have in our community. And you know, as a police officer, I'd work suicides and things, but I just didn't realize it happened as frequently as it does. And in the last ten years in Montgomery County, that number has almost doubled. And so uh, that that really that was really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, looking at and kind of peeling back the onion on that and looking at the things and and um, and so I've I've my first term we, we spent a lot of time looking at that and one of the goals in my second term is is we're we're um, in fact just this week we meet, met with several organizations and we're looking at uh, trying to establish a. Um, suicide awareness and prevention task force and we want to try to bring all the players together and we want to start looking at these suicides and kind of seeing so what was a contributing factor here why did this happen how did we miss this and and that part of the prevention side but then the awareness side is uh, often when I have the opportunity to speak I'll ask people in the room how many people here know first aid or CPR and you know 80% of the room will raise their hand mm-hmm. and then I'll ask how many of you have actually used those skills and less than 10% will raise their hand well mental health first aid is something that we need to be teaching our community mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm going to be an advocate for that and, and I hope this second term uh, we're going to get uh, all the players in place. I've just recently met with the Woodlands Township Board, and they're on board uh, as far as lending their resources and, and, and talents of their team and PR and, and so forth. And so we, I think we're going to get some momentum here to be able uh, to pull down the bail on suicide. You know, suicide does not go away because you don't talk about it. Right. Uh, it's the complete opposite. But there's a misconception there that if we just – don't talk about it well then we don't have to worry about it or, or it's not going to happen or, or the, one, the worst thing you can do is ask somebody um, you know are you are you okay or are you thinking about killing yourself because the, yeah. the perception is well if I say that then maybe they'll do it but the reality of it is if you're in crisis you're already thinking about those mm-hmm. things especially when you get to a dark place so um, one of my goals is in second term is to try to make that happen and, uh, and it looks like we, we've got some really good momentum in the community. This Montgomery County is such an awesome community. I mean, we're the seventh fastest growing county in the United States. we got so many wonderful leaders mm-hmm. here and uh, so many great organizations. And mm-hmm. I really think uh, what we do here in this county will be hopefully be able to replicate not just here in Texas but throughout the nation. Absolutely. We do. We live in the best place. I always say that. Like Montgomery County is just the best place when we talk about business to mm-hmm. really to be building a business yeah. and and providing for your family and living a life that you love. I mean, mm-hmm. you're really in 
the best place. Everybody's very generous, very wants everybody to be successful, wants to come together like you're doing with suicide prevention and really help and really make a difference. And everybody wants to get involved, and it's just really beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I, I, I feel so blessed, and as I travel throughout the nation and the state, uh, people, you know, say, well, what, how is, how is it so everything is so happening there and, and the growth and everything it's just like you said it's just people here are just the greatest people mm-hmm. in the, in, and I'm, I'm prejudiced but I've, <laughs> I've been here since 1985 and and uh, I feel very blessed that this community is is responsive as it is yeah I love yeah, that you're doing and, that yeah and we it looks like we're we're going to get some really great players together that they're all doing mental health first aid mm-hmm. right but there's not a collaboration. That's there. right. Mm-hmm. And so we were we were looking to get the faith based community, mm-hmm. uh, hospitals, treatment facilities, um, nonprofit organizations, law enforcement, mm-hmm. and and bring everybody together so we're all on the same page. Just like, just like you know the American Heart Association has done with with CPR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, every very few adult people and even children. When you say CPR, they know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to get to the point as a nation where mental health first aid is just the same. Um, mm-hmm. And getting with our legislature and getting um, mandated curriculums. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington State has a wonderful cu- curriculum on mental health mm-hmm. first aid that they've already created. And, and the uh, statistics show that it's impactful and effective. Wow. Amazing. So I'm hoping we can be a part of that. Good. That's wonderful. So staying staying in your first term. So of course, for for context sake, you you just won re-election. Yes, I did. Uh, just uh, just I got hundred percent of the vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have an opponent. Yeah. <laughs> now I do have to say I have some bad news. Personally, I did not vote for you. Oh, I'm uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do have a loophole. We don't live in your district. So. I know. But you know what? We got four years for you to move, and then you oh, can vote. Oh, there I like we it. go. I like it. Very like nice. It's not too late. Well played. Well played. <laughs> so. Um, Still, kind of talking about uh, your first term, and then, I mean, even now into your into your second term, um, some of the challenges. Obviously, talking about mental health, and I do think that is an incredibly uh, that's a large challenge. But that, I think that's a very noble pursuit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth and I um, just off um, uh, off recording had just mentioned that I think now more than ever, mental health, fortunately, is talked about yeah oh yes and so so that stigma is kind of getting knocked down a bit and and now when we start having programs like this um you know mental health first aid as as you mentioned that is going to just continue to make great progress so that it's not a taboo or faux pas type issue to talk about because it really is and uh i mean just you know you mentioned it that you know the suicide rate in just in montgomery county has has doubled in the last 10 years. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when I'm talking to groups, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, if we had a, a 50 or 80% increase in diabetes or mm-hmm. heart disease or cancer, what would be our community response? Mm-hmm. We want to know why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And we need to do the same thing with mental health. And, mm-hmm. and it's so, so very, very important. Like you said, the stigma, you mm-hmm. know, 10 years ago, I was given the diagnosis of, of a incurable cancer and they told me no remission, no cure best I could hope for there was they were going to buy me some time and I looked at the doctor and said doc you know I'm going to do everything you tell me to do because you're the doctor but until I hear from Dr. Jesus we're going to beat this thing <laughs> and uh, he told me keep that attitude and he said there's people that come in here with less cancer and they just give up and mm-hmm. I said well I'm not that guy mm-hmm. and the community re- embraced me my family my church the community embraced us and and, and, and we felt that embrace when we got that news. And I, I, I reflect and I look back and I think, you know, that same room I walked into and told everybody that I had this uncurable cancer, but we were going to fight it. If I was to walk in that same room and say, hey, I'm, I'm bipolar, schizophrenic, or I struggle with depression, or I've attempted suicide, what would the response mm-hmm. be? Mm-hmm. And I think very, very important that our, as a community, we have a conversation with that because you having a mental illness is no different than if you you had cancer, diabetes, mm-hmm. or, or an ear infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, there's medicine to help you with it. Yeah. And we, mm-hmm. I think uh, having this conversation as a community, I think, is going to be very beneficial. Um, and it's and, and taking down that stigma of mm-hmm. it's okay to say I'm not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Hmm. So, so talking about re-election and talking about going back to 2014 when you were running for election the first time, <clears throat> what were some, what were some of the contrasts and, and what were some of the similarities that you that you found? Um, you know, going whether going out into the community, you know, putting together a campaign, you know, putting together a campaign for the first time, I imagine, is incredibly different than yeah. when you do it the second time. Yeah. Uh, so, t- talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's uh, it's you know, it's it's wonderful that we live in a nation where we can choose our leadership, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was it was something I never ever imagined me doing, and so we put together a great team and and we got our message out there, and our message was I, I wanted to continue my service. So I'd been in the community for many years. I had a record of public service. Um, I'd been on, at that time, I'd been on like 10 or 12 different nonprofit boards. Um, that number's up to 15 now. And, uh, and so we've been in the community and involved. And um, uh, I, th- I think, you know, that, that realm was, our message was to continue the service. Mm-hmm. And, and I was going to continue the service that I've already done. And, and that resonated well with people. And, and as a you know, as a community, as a state, as a nation, we've got to get back to the principles of electing servant leaders, people that want to serve because they want to make a difference mm-hmm. versus wanting a, a job or mm-hmm. wanting a paycheck. And that's I think our founding fathers that that's what they envisioned public service as. And um, you know, every one of them, they would come and they would do their job, and then they went back to live under the rules that they had made and um, and they and they didn't get paid to do it. Now, I tell people most days I would do my job for free. I can tell you today's not one of them. <laughs> uh, but I am I feel uh, it's 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 a wonder it's a joy. Yeah. I, I I don't feel like I have a uh, I'm like I'm going to work. I mm-hmm. I wake up every morning with the anticipation that I yay, I get to do this again. And my wife's really excited I get paid because she gets to have a, a, a nice house and, <laughs> and, and, and do the things she likes to do. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have to continue to provide opportunities for your yeah. family as well as, as, uh, as, as most people would expect. Yeah. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. I know So you recently authored a book, um, The Directed Path, uh, just released in 2017, I believe. Uh, and... It's, I'll have you talk more about what your inspiration was and, and kind of the, the principles that you talk about in there. But you do talk about your family, and you yeah. talk about um, your your children were, uh, I think you said, uh, uh, premature and, and fragile births and kind yeah. of the, the challenges that you and your wife faced uh, in that. So so talking about family, talk a little bit about that. And, and, again, it's another challenge that you had to overcome, a challenge that can really put a lot of stress and, and financial pressure as well yeah. on a family and something that you have to overcome. Yeah, and, you know, um, I look back on my life, and I, I chose that title, The Directed Path, mm-hmm. Using God's Compass, because I feel so directed. And, and it seems like every challenge that has come in my life has prepared me for the next challenge. And I think a lot of times in life we take situations and, and we feel like this is a terrible thing. And, and a lot of it was, you know, there's nothing good about childhood illness. There's nothing good about premature babies. And then my son, a year after he was born, was diagnosed with a very rare bone disease. And doctors were telling us that he would possibly be in a wheelchair by the time he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the saying of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm-hmm. kind of thing. But the challenge there was, um, you know, with, with that was to be able to see um, the fact that you're on a directed path. And, you know, there were, there were points where that became such a burden financially um, that, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't literally, we did, you know, we didn't know how we were going to pay the light bill mm-hmm. um, because it was pay the light bill or get the medicine that your son needs sure um and you know those kind of things and and i think that that makes you it prepares you for for what the next event's going to be and and um those circumstances and those situations um are, are the the reason i'm the the person that i am today mm-hmm. when it comes to being sympathetic to to that family that comes before me and they're being evicted from their home and and they've had a, a tragedy or a trauma happen. Mm. And, you know, I still got to apply the law, but I can apply it with compassion and mm-hmm. I can, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully direct and guide people and nudge them in the right direction kind of thing. And and um, a, lo- a long answer to your very short question <laughs> is that those 
uh, those those incidences and those things in my life uh, are what propelled me uh, to have the the worldview that I have today, mm-hmm. um, and to and to try to you know I try to my children heard every day of their life uh, they heard three things how much I loved them how proud I was of them and make a difference mm-hmm. and that was a that wasn't that wasn't something I just said that was something I lived in front of them but at the same time they got to see as we went through these challenges and things um, that um, that's that's the way to live life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, they've had their fair share of obstacles they've had to overcome in their life and and you know we all um, if we can we can you know a lot of we can't control the events that happen to us Mm -hmm. Uh, I couldn't control the fact that they were born premature, that my son had this very rare bone disease, or and all the other things that have happened in my life. The fact that I was told, you know, mm-hmm. that I had incurable cancer. I, I, you know, I, I had no idea why I had cancer. I, you know, any idea was I went into the doctor for a kidney stone, mm. and the next thing I know, they're telling me I have cancer. I couldn't control the event, but I could control my response. Mm-hmm. And the result of controlling my response is the outcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a simple mathematical equation of E plus R equals O. And uh, you can't control the event, but you can control the response, and that equals the outcome. And right thinking causes right actions, which cause right results. And a lot of times, if we, in our circumstances, if we can just maintain where we're at, and that tomorrow is going to come, mm-hmm. we're going to be okay, um, is, a, is, I think, why I've enjoyed some of the successes we had. I love that. E plus R equals O. Now, is that your thing, or did that kind of come to you from the people that, that you surround yourself with, or I, what? You know, I that was that I learned that concept at a Fred Pryor seminar. Fred Pryor. And it was back in, I want to say, 1993 or 94. And it just was one of those aha moments. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... And I just, it's just kind of one of those things. And I've, 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 I've used that mathematical equation often in the circumstances and situations <laughs> I have in life. I love it. Mm-hmm. E plus R equals O. <clears throat> so in the book, and, and this kind of talks a little bit about, um, you know, your, your focus and, you know, of course, your, your, your directed path. But an excerpt from the book says, despise the little things not or so despise not the little things in your life god employers your friends your family are not going to entrust you with big things if you can't be responsible for the little ones yeah talk about that how how you apply that in your life obviously you know from from our discussion already uh you have a very uh you know being responsible not just for the big lofty goals and you know the the big ideas but just going to work every single day and you know telling your kids that you love them that you're proud of them and that you go make a difference um you know that's kind of instilling the 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 small little things you know every single day talk about that talk about where that comes from for for you and then kind of how you continue you know what uh, some other things that you do to kind of just continue to perpetuate that well i I think it came from my parents Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad worked two 40-hour week jobs and at the Creso plant and a grain elevator. And that was in Wisconsin, and they have four seasons in Wisconsin, June, July, August, and winter. <laughs> and, and I watched him work and work and work, and then my mother, um, once we got older and, and I left home, she became a professional educator, and I watched her give her life in serving. Uh, she was always the den mother. Our home was always the home where all the kids wanted to come. Um, and, um, and, and so I learned from them, uh, being faithful in those little things. And, and, and then when I moved here, uh, 1985 and I went to work for the maintenance department, uh, as a custodian mm-hmm. working in, and as a custodian. And I learned great work habits because to be a good custodian, you have to have great work habits. Because you, you come in and make everything look better, mm-hmm. and come back the next day and it looks bad again. <laughs> and so it, you had to have consistency. And so being in that right. position taught me consistency, taught mm-hmm. me importance of the de- you know paying attention to the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned customer service doing that. And um, and so uh, I tell people my memoir is going to be from janitor to judge and all the crap I cleaned up in between. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And. Uh, 
And so, you know, I, I, I really think starting out in that service position, mm-hmm. but my dad instilled this in me because when I'm, when I load up, when I loaded up everything I owned in my Ford Escort and had $500 that I bought, borrowed from my grandmother to move here, and all I had was the promise of a non-paid internship working in the youth department of a mm-hmm. church. I didn't even have the promise of a job. He, As I was about to leave, he says, I have no money to give you. It was a very bad time. The economy was bad. He had just lost his job. But this is what I have to give you. I, uh, and he gave me this advice. He says, I don't care if you're just the damn janitor. Be the best damn janitor they have. And Wayne, you're going to go places. And uh, and little did I know he was prophesying <laughs> because a few months later I would be at the courthouse in downtown Conroe yeah. sweeping and mopping floors and cleaning restrooms. Um, but uh, it was that work ethic that instilled in me, that thing of of knowing that if you work hard and you're good at it, mm-hmm. and and you and and you know in my faith, work uh, as is we were raised, you do, everything you do, you do as unto the Lord, mm-hmm. and so whether it's a little thing or a big thing. You, you, you're faithful at it, and you, you do it, and then the next thing happens. And that's where we talk about that in the chapter of that book is, you know, you know be faithful in mm-hmm. the little things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you think about that, it's even every aspect, it's a very biblical perspective, but every aspect of your life, whether it's relationships or work or, or building a business, is, is, is the, the attentiveness to the details and being consistent with that is what it, what's your foundational principles for success. Because mm-hmm. if you can't be faithful in the little things. Um, now, did I ever imagine as I was sweeping and mopping floors at the courthouse that that same courthouse, when I walk in there, they call me judge? Uh, you know, God bless America. Uh, <laughs> I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't foresee that, but I, sure. I, did, I did know that um, I felt like I was being directed by God. Yeah. And, um, you know, and the cancer thing is, is something I tell people that was a, the greatest. I, I got that news on my 44th birthday. And I tell people that was the best birthday present God ever gave me because from that moment, I've lived every day like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. And so I've made my life about impact, not about stuff, not about, you know, I've lived in this until recently. I lived in the same house for 23 years. Uh, you know, my car out there has 180,000 miles on it. I'm not out to impress anybody, but I do want to live every day with impact. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm very blessed that this community has allowed me to do that. And um, one of the things we did uh, when we first got into office was we formed a chaplaincy program. And uh, what I found getting on these scenes was that um, a lot of fire departments and police departments have a chaplain, but it was for their staff and mm-hmm. for their operation. And so when I'm standing on the side of the road and dealing with a family that just lost their teenager, I realized that we didn't have a system in place as a, as a community to call somebody if somebody didn't have somebody. Mm-hmm. And so we formed that and we kicked that off and and I was hoping to get 10 or 15 members of the faith-based community to, to be involved. And we launched it in the first meeting. We had over 50 show up. Wow. And, and we now have 70 chaplains that are trained uh, in how to be a chaplain. Uh, every mosque, every temple, every synagogue, and every church you can imagine represented in this thing. And again, that was a little thing because I built relationships with people. And then uh, when it came time to call on these people we were able to have this huge embrace of the faith-based community. And so literally we have an army of men and women of the faith-based community that are in the ready position. So whether we have, a, God forbid, some catastrophic thing happen, we have these men and women trained to, to respond to that. And it's, again, it's, you know, being faithful in the little things, mm-hmm. um, you can, you know, anything's possible. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, that's that's really fascinating. So I want to I want to focus still on the book a little bit, but okay. get a little bit more tactical. Sure. So we've been fortunate to have a couple different authors on our podcast, um, different all all kinds of, of different authors. Whether they wrote a memoir or whether they wrote a uh, actually a, a cultural historic perspective uh, book. What was your 
process like for writing the book early mornings late nights blocked out a big you know white space on your calendar and just knocked it out in one week talk a little yeah. bit about that process for writing the book well i you know i did i had again had people say you need to write a book you need mm-hmm. to write a book and i'm like who would read a book about me <laughs> and i was kind of perplexed by that and then um uh, we had a, an off a, a publisher a local publisher come up to me and and we had been involved in a, a community in a in a uh, effort to help veterans, and we got together and we just talked about that. And she says, "You really need to write a book." And so I I just I didn't know how to do that, and so she was willing to help me and guide me in that process. And so it just got to the point where we we came up with some parts of my life, and mm-hmm. and then we we so we had the topics, and I and she wanted to do more of a biographical you know, from janitor to judge story, but, uh, while I'm on the bench, I'm, I'm prohibited from doing that. But, um, but I wanted to, I wanted to be something that as we talked about it, I wanted to be something I could put in somebody's hand, whether they were facing childhood illness or death or cancer or just needing a pickup. I wanted it to be something that would inspire them. And so we went through these different parts of our life. And, and so with my, my work schedule, um, you know, there was I, I wanted to have a set time to do it, but it was almost impossible sure. to do because I, uh, you know, many times, um, you know, our day gets interrupted with the whole inquest thing that we have to do. So what I found myself doing was in the middle of the night when I would get woke up and having to deal with a tragedy, uh, and sometimes not a tragedy, sometimes law enforcement calls and I need to sign a search warrant and, mm-hmm. or, or arrest warrant or something, and we do that sometimes. But um, And sometimes it was just, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you deal with all the stuff that you deal with. Um, it, it has an impact on you mm-hmm. because you see a lot of hopelessness. You see a lot of sadness and brokenness. And so I'd have those 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning things. I'd get up and just start writing. Mm-hmm. And it was very therapeutic for me because I was able to uh, sit there and, and write my life story and kind of relive some of these moments. And, and it was just, a, it was kind of a blessing. And then when, I, when we finally got it done, I, I kind of missed it. <laughs> and then that same publisher just reached out to me recently and they, they, they're ready for part two. So yeah. I don't know where we're going to go with that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a very, um, it was very humbling and sobering at the same time and just to be able to reflect on your life and to see that handprint of that you know being faithful in the little things mm-hmm. or, or you know you know there is no death sentence um and you know even if they say that uh you're you know sorry buddy just you know and, and it, it kind of was it, at when i was at Ebony anderson i had you know after the first doctor said it it was very sobering to say just we will never tell you are cured. We'll never tell you remission. You need, but by the third doctor, you're like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here on borrowed time. We're, let's go. And uh, writing that book brought, kind of brought, brought back some of those emotions yeah. and uh, those things and, and, you know, the financial hardships that it brought. So I, I wrote it hoping that people would be able to be inspired by it mm-hmm. and maybe uh, give a little bit of a – help them in their response to the event that they're having and in their life yeah mm. so what was the how, how long was that process did how long did that process take almost, almost a year okay yeah, yeah. almost yeah. a year uh just because i worked so much it was sure. it, it didn't happen as fast as my publisher wanted to happen. of course but, yeah yeah but it was almost almost i want to say at least nine ten months yeah. uh, that we started from start to finish till it, it finally was in the <laughs> final uh where I want, where the, where we wanted it to be. And it was much shorter than they wanted it to be, uh, because I did I didn't I wanted it to be something that people could grab and sure in two hours time uh, be inspired. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned <clears throat> when talking about the book and and, and kind of your. Uh, where you got your your work ethic and some of your 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 personal principles comes from your family. So you mentioned that you're you're from Wisconsin. Um, you know, obviously you're you're a, you're a Texas transplant. And if yeah. anyone listens to the podcast, so are Elizabeth and myself. We yeah. are not originally from Texas, and so but we got here as quick as we could. Exactly. Right, we <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I'm always interested in 
how people got where where they are. If they're not originally from wherever they are in this this moment, yeah. what was their journey like to to get here? So so talk about you're from Wisconsin. I know that you then went to school and you studied in Mississippi. Yes, and then came here to Texas. So kind of talk about that you know migration path. Yeah. A bit. So I yeah. So I um, had the opportunity to to go to college in Jackson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and my major was theology. And um, and and I spent the my whole year there, um, and I never put on a jacket. Coming from Wisconsin, <laughs> as we talked about earlier, you know, yeah. four seasons: June, yeah. July, August, and winter. I that was that was the coolest thing. And I'm like, first chance I can get. Wisconsin's a wonderful place to be from, <laughs> and a beautiful country and everything. But the weather. <laughs> Uh, everything oh, yes. revolves around the weather, and uh, and so I I got a taste of being below the Mason Dixon line, and I was I was convinced that that so the opportunity arose, and and uh, I was able to come to Conroe to be uh, part of a, a youth department of a church, and uh, that's how I ended I ended up here, and to support that mm-hmm. I went to work in the as a night custodian at, in the maintenance department, and and that brought me from Wisconsin to here and and um, and yeah and so I haven't looked back I I I, uh, I I'm hoping that Texas will claim me I haven't I officially haven't got my citizenship yet but <laughs> I, I, I figure I've, I live I've lived here twice as long as I lived there so I, yeah. I'm hoping that I, I, I'm they're not going to deport me anytime soon I'm I'm closing in on being in Texas longer than I've been anywhere yeah. anywhere else I, so I, I split time personally I split time between uh, 11, 11, 12 years in Iowa. That's where I'm originally from. Yeah. So, so Midwest guy could completely understand the uh, the now, weather aspects. And we were 150 miles from the Canadian border, so we actually fig- we considered Iowa down south. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so, yeah. Anything south of Milwaukee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then yeah, I spent about another 11 years uh, in North Carolina. Now I've been here in Texas, and, and this summer will be 11 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so Texas is is. For sure, for sure, home. Now, how did you, what was the connection coming from Wisconsin to, to Jackson, Mississippi, of all places? It was, uh, I'd actually gone up back home. I'd gone to a, uh, a church camp, and the uh, Jackson College of Ministries mm-hmm. was there, and and um, I'd felt at a young age a call to go uh, to be a part of ministry in some form or fashion, and so uh, that's where I was introduced <laughs> to, the, to, their, that, to that college, and and had the opportunity, ended up getting a scholarship to help fund that, and and um, that's you know, we ended up there. We I only went a year um, because my parent, my dad, uh, after that had lost his job, and and so I went back home. And when I got back home, I was there to try to help them, and mm-hmm. went to work, and and was going to save up so I could go back because the whole year I was in Jackson, I literally worked three jobs sure. trying to to go through all that and. And I had a full course load, and and um, and so I uh, I went back home. And then one of the reasons I moved to Texas was to be able to take this internship, and then also finish my degree. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I can I'm I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, after uh, thirty years of wanting to finish my degree, that I still need to finish my degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think you've made it this far. I, yeah. I don't think a degree is holding you back from from doing anything at this point. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, so I know we've we've bounced around a little bit, and we certainly will will continue to bounce around. Uh, not, we're not going to be linear at all. But I do want to talk about when when you came here to to Conroe to to Texas, and you know you you got a job as a as a custodian, as you mentioned to. You know, essentially support what you what you had come had come to Texas to do, and then after a short while, it seemed like you 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 know your work ethic, uh, you kind of you worked your way up, you got a promotion, and and uh, you know, kind of moved your way up into that, and effectively you kind of were on that same career path until you uh, were elected judge in, in 2014. Yeah. So talk yeah. a little bit about that about. You know, certainly we don't always know how the opportunities are going to reveal themselves, right. but it's just capturing those opportunities. And that seems like yeah. an opportunity that you didn't realize it was going to reveal itself. But then when you saw there's something to capture, you captured it. Yeah. And, I, I, you, you know, if you look if you look at uh, people that are successful across the board, John Maxwell, uh, Stephen Covey, all the all these folks, you look at, at their specific times in their life where they seize the moment. Mm-hmm 
where they were there and they were prepared. And when the opportunity rose, they stepped up. And so uh, working in the, in the custodial department and working hard and listening to my dad to be the best, mm-hmm. I never viewed myself as just a janitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people are inhibited by the just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, a, I'm a janitor, I'm just a truck driver, I'm just a teacher, I'm just this. Um, and we, we, we you know, uh, there's a, we limit ourselves when we look ourselves as just as. Um, and, um, and I never viewed myself as a janitor, I, uh, just a janitor. I viewed myself as a professional. Mm-hmm. And so I worked hard. And as a result of working hard, I was asked to, like you mentioned, I was asked to be um, in, in a leadership role. And, and one of the things I look back and as I was writing this book, I realized that every position in my life that I was asked, ended up in a leadership role, I was always asked to be in that role. Mm-hmm. And so I think that shows that if you work hard and you're faithful in the little things, as we talked about, that opportunity will come to you. Um, it's the, you know, I, I believe in the, the law that no judge, no attorney, Supreme Court, a presidential pardon cannot get you out of is the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And if you will sow good things, good things will happen. And uh, I look back over my life, and and, and I, I had the opportunity to to be the foreman, and so I I just I didn't settle on just being the foreman. I was going to be the best. And then it, as a result of that, I then became asked to be a supervisor. And a few years later, after that, I was actually the assistant director of the department. And um, and then uh, when the county uh, decided to split the maintenance and building services division. Uh, I had the opportunity to be the director of the uh, uh, building custodial services mm-hmm. department. But I, but even then, I didn't view myself as just a, you know, I actually had one elected official that referred to me as the head janitor. Um, now I was one of the highest paid head janitors yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the county, but um, I I seized those moments, and mm-hmm. so I started. I saw the department and I saw things that, so when I was in an opportunity, you know, I tell people, if you want to be a supervisor, you need to act like one Mm -hmm. before. If you want to be a leader, you need to be a leader when nobody's looking. And and that principle of of reaping what you sow, and and so when I had the opportunity, um, one, I can tell you, I can look back at my life and one book other than the Bible uh, that has had a tremendous impact on my life was uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits mm-hmm. of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And I actually, on my own money, once I became uh, the director of the Building Custodial Services Department, went on my own dime uh, to a, 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 Fred Fra- a Fred Pryor seminar and paid for it myself. And there, there they introduced me to Stephen Covey. And I grabbed a hold of that, and, uh, and, uh, and I just started applying those principles and we start. We ran our department as a business. It wasn't just another government thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the commissioners respected that. And uh, you know, um, and it was a very, you know, to this day, one of the most efficiently and effective run departments in the county because we ran it like a business, and and we applied business principles yeah. to it. Yeah. And so those, I see all those moments of getting to there, and then, and then when the the opportunity uh, came to. To run for elected office, I, I felt very compelled to jump into that role. Yeah, it was actually a pay cut for me when I, <laughs> when I, when I first took the when I first took the role. Everybody, I, one of my campaign team said, "Hey, you you realize that this is a pay cut, right?" And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not doing it for the money. I'm yeah. I'm doing it because I I feel like this is where God wants me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think that emphasizes the. Um, the, the nobleness behind it, uh, that it is a servant leader type position uh, to where maybe if, it, and, and you kind of mentioned it towards the beginning of the podcast, that, you know, if, if, if you're an elected official looking for a job, looking for a, a paycheck, and you're kind of just, you know, working your way up in in the role plus the paycheck, that can maybe be questioned a little bit. So I think that, yeah. that kind of you know, in a roundabout way, it kind of says, you know, put your money where your mouth is. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I really want to. I'm actually taking a pay cut to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and 
you know, that, that comes to my brain and just feeling called and mm-hmm. and having that aha moment where I was going to, at 44, I determined I was going to live every day like I'm dying. And, you know, as a nation, if we get back to electing people that want to serve versus be served, uh, we wouldn't be $20 trillion in debt sure. and, and have the chaos that we got going on right now if we could get back to that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, kind of, that's it's voter apathy because... As a nation, we've we've kind of gotten away from the privilege of being able to choose our leaders. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks that don't vote, mm-hmm. uh, especially in your age group, that mm-hmm. say, "What oh, is my vote going to matter?" Sure. And uh, as and as a result of that, we end up with people that are just there to make money and to mm-hmm. advance their career. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's incumbent. And I hope I hope that one of my things I, I want to accomplish in in the life the years that I have here is to hope to inspire people that want to serve to serve Mm -hmm. and uh, on the school board or city council or commissioner's court or whatever elected position I I hope to I hope to inspire others to step up and serve because politics is not a is not for everybody (laughs) (laughs) and you know I I worked for I had uh, my entire just about my entire adult life I worked for four commissioners and a county judge mm-hmm. I think I think it's back a total of like 13 or 14 commissioners and now five county judges and so you kind of learn and you know that uh, how to walk around the the political uh, landmines that are out there and uh, you know in my role was always I looked at my role was to make them look good mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't about making me look good it was mm-hmm. about making my bosses look good sure. and um, and so you know that same principle applies to everything else is you serve in the role that you're you're in so one of the things that uh, you did um, before you became an elected official uh, you went through Lone Star Community College's Police Academy. Yeah, that was uh, my midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's yeah, really interesting. Some people get a car or girlfriend. I, I, w- I became a cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you didn't just do it. You know, it, did, it certainly doesn't seem like you just did it to, to you know get a badge you put on your resume. Hey guys, look what I did. Yeah. You actually really seemed that you sunk your teeth into it, and you you ultimately another place where effectively you got a promotion or you were asked to take, you know, leadership uh, responsibility. Talk a little bit about why you wanted to do that and maybe midlife crisis is yeah. the reason. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but then you were asked to be in leadership roles and you, you know, you embraced that. Uh, so talk a little bit about that time and, 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 you know, why, why, why that? What motivated you to do that? Yeah, I, um, my dad was an auxiliary policeman back home. And that was what we would call in Texas a reserve, but Mm -hmm. they called an auxiliary policeman. And that inspired both me and my baby brother that we always kind of had that itch for what it would be like to be in law enforcement. Well, then my baby brother went through the academy and uh, here in Texas, and he moved down here and and uh, got into it, and I started riding with him, and I thought, you know, I could do this. And and I actually had a, a patrol sergeant, as I was actually out cleaning a building, uh, plant the seed and saying, hey, Wayne, you know, you'd be great at being a reserve. And at the time, uh, I was I was cleaning the uh, courthouse annex out in Magnolia. And, um, the you know, we, you know we, you build relationships when you're, when you're, when you're working in those realms and and he uh, he said you know we we have a great reserve program and it kind of planted the seed and so I thought yeah someday I might want to do that mm-hmm. and so when my someday ever got there I I got I went to the academy and it, it was the longest 10 months of my life because you know I worked 50 to 60 hours a week yeah. and then was going to the academy uh, part-time and so Monday through Friday I'd get off work and shoot down to to the beltway and and uh, go through the academy and had to go through all that and pass that and, and it was I'm I'm glad I did it and and it was a and so I started out up here at the precinct one constable's mm-hmm. office mm-hmm. as a reserve and after I'd been there a while um, started to um, be asked to be a part of growing that program and eventually became the captain and uh, served in that role almost four and a half years and then I was approached by Charlie Ray. Um, who was the became the police chief of Conroe Police Department? Mm-hmm. He said, "Hey, 
we were actually, I was working an event out at the fairgrounds, uh, Lions Club Rodeo, and he come up to me and said, hey, we want to revive our reserve program, and I understand you got a good program up there. Could you come talk to us about what that looks like? And so I got there, and we started talking about it, and he said, well, what would be the ideal reserve program? And so I, I described to him what I believe the ideal reserve program. He says, you know, that's what, just what we want to do here. He said, would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And so it was a great opportunity, and uh, he brought me in and uh, brought me in as a sergeant, and, and we was the reserve unit commander, and we grew the program. And In fact, I was just on a scene today with, with a, a young man that was actually in our reserve program, and now he's a full-time police officer, mm-hmm. Conroe Police Department. So it, uh, yeah, it, it kind of just grew from there. And yeah. I, I've never, I, I did work, I did have a dual commission for a short time where I worked for Constable Gene DeForest as a MAP unit. So on Saturdays and Sundays, that was the only time in my law enforcement career I actually got paid to do it. <laughs> All the other times is in the, uh, the constable's office, we did have some stuff up here where we could work and they would actually pay us for it. But at the Conroe Police Department, you, d- you didn't get paid mm-hmm. to do it. And and I did that for um, almost 10 years at the Conroe Police mm-hmm. Department. And it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had a good friend of mine come up to me, and he's a very successful businessman. He says, man, why, why are you doing this for free? And I said, well, some people play golf. I play cop. <laughs> Fair he enough, says, man. yeah, but when I go golfing, nobody shoots at me. And I said, well, you've never seen me play golf. So. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Yeah. All right, I want to be mindful of, of your time. Uh, I do want to get to a couple of our uh Evers and Cooper frequently ask questions that we try to ask you know, all of our guests and, and try to you know, kind of distill down um, you know, some of the commonalities, you know, whether it's you know, author, or, you know, business owner, fitness profession, justice of the peace. Uh, so you did mention um, you know, some of the books that have the most profound impact in your life, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People yeah. by Stephen Covey, of course, the Bible. Um, Something that that I'm uh, kind of a nerd about that I'm interested in is uh, the, this chronotype uh, thing, where it's kind of it's kind of on a natural you know natural thing, or you know whether you're a night owl, so you're a wolf, or you're yeah. uh, you know you're a bear, you kind of you know you're uh, you, more like 10 a.m. is your prime time of the day, 10 a.m. to you know five o'clock or whatever, uh, or are you a, a lion, you know, wake up very early, ready to go, you know, ready to ready to get after it. Or there's some people, I think a couple of our guests are actually dolphins, which means they're just all over the place. <laughs> One day they wake up at 10 a.m., the next day they sleep until 3, the next day they're up at 5 a.m. Yeah. So talk a little bit about just on that brief uh, description. What, what well, would you I, I, describe yourself I would, as? I, I would say the majority of my adult life I was an early riser. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that had to do with um, being raised next to my grandparents' dairy farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I grew up thinking everybody got up and did chores and then went home and <laughs> got ready and got on the school bus and got went to school and come home and did chores when they got home. Uh, I found out later that wasn't the case. <laughs> but, but in Wisconsin, where we were from, that's just what everybody did. Mm-hmm. And so that early rising thing, most of my adult life, and then, of course, that changed a little bit when I went to work for the the, the uh, building maintenance custodial mm-hmm. department because it was a night shift position. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of change how I did things, but I never really got used to sleeping late. Mm-hmm. And now with this job, I'm definitely a dolphin. <laughs> All right. And not by choice, sure, sure. but just by because of the nature of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone as long as 37 hours without sleep, oh not gosh. because I wanted to, but because I, you know, even though I, you know, would get woke up three or four times a night and have to go do our death inquest, I still got court the next day. Mm-hmm. And so if you notice that couch behind you, <laughs> I, I one of the things that when I come into office, uh, uh, Judge Moriarty had bought that couch in this office and the other office, and I'm thinking, who puts a couch in their office? Well, after the first month of me being in office, I figured out why, because of that seven nights of, yeah. un, you know, only seven nights of uninterrupted sleep mm-hmm. the other 23 days. I was woke up two or three times a night, and so that that's that couch is a, a great nap thing because <laughs> I I've uh, I've perfected the power nap when it yeah. comes to because just the, the sheer hours that we work some mm-hmm. weeks are just 
you know, and you just gotta, you just keep going. And mm-hmm. but I, you know, it, it, it. I guess maybe because I love what I do so much, is that even though sometimes I'm mentally and physically exhausted, as soon as that phone rings, that that energy just comes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just goes. And and I, 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 I see where you know the people you you read the books of the people that that have been so successful and they've given and given and given and uh, they have great success but there was a great sacrifice for that mm-hmm. success and that one of those things is you know being able to you know if, if you, that chronotype I, I would like to see you know some of the most successful people in our community what is their chronotype mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, from the standpoint of uh, how did it get there get yeah. you there because I uh, yeah, sleep. I tell people sleep's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great that you 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 perfected the power nap. Actually, uh, there there are many successful people that have perfected the power nap just for that reason. I mean, Bill yeah. Clinton was was a power napper. Uh, Winston Churchill, you know, took took naps. Um, I think he, that was also cognac induced, though. Um, <laughs> he, did, he did like his drink, but nonetheless, yeah. um, my wife wishes I had a different sleep schedule. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, because I. Some nights I get up and I, you know, I just, it just, your brain fires off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing I haven't learned in this position is how to get woke up in the middle of the night and do what I have to do or get up and dress and go to a scene and come back and just be able to lay down and go back sure. to sleep. Sure. I, I can't do that. My yeah. brain starts thinking about what the next day is going to happen. And that's where writing the book happens. I was just going to say that you have a book to it, show it, for yeah, it. So it, there you it, go. It, 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 it was very <clears throat> helpful. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. The last uh, last one we'll we'll leave you with, and, and I think this is one of our one of our favorite questions, at least one of my favorite questions, is your definition of success. Everyone has a different definition, and, and if you go back and listen to the podcast, uh, or if anyone listens to the podcast, in terms of what people's answer to success, it, everyone's different, and there's not a right answer, there's not a wrong answer, because yeah. success, the way that we we do it, and the reason that we started this podcast is everyone everyone has a different journey. To, to success. And so for you, what is your definition of success? And if you have a couple people that you look towards as whether your role models or whatever that are kind of living out that definition. Yeah. Wow. That's a, whew, I wish I had read that on the list. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess, um, you know, for me, that's, that word encompasses so many things. Because you talk about relationships, you mm-hmm. talk about your career, you, you talk about finances and all these things. And, and so that definition can mean different things to different parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, for me, um, uh, success is being able to look back every day when I, when I lay down my sleep and when I attempt to get there. If I can look back and know that I've made a difference. Mm-hmm that I've had an impact, to me, that's true success. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just look back on your life and what you've accomplished, um, what have you done for others? Um, I hope uh, my, uh, um, I hope that um, people, when they look back on my life, they will, they will, the one thing they will know is that he cared for others. And, um, and that's, to me, that's success. Sure, a great retirement program, 401k, a bunch of money in the bank, that would be nice. I, every year I do my taxes, My the lady that does my taxes, regularly we have this conversation. In fact, last year I just said, let's just start out with the conversation. Yes, I know I give too much money away. Mm-hmm. And she, you're getting older, Judge, you need to start planning for the future. And I look at money as, as the same way I look at my hammer in my garage, is that uh, when I need it, I go get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, otherwise, I'm not worried about where my hammer's at. Just I need to know where it's there. Sure. And and so, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times it's evil. You, you look at people and, um, you, you know, the, the Bill Gates of the world and all these people, John Maxwell, and all these people that have had this tremendous success that you look at and go, wow, that's amazing. You know, John Maxwell, 30 million books. Who would, you know, I, I was so happy when I, when we, we get to the, when we did a thousand. Mm-hmm. And then I got to thinking about it. I wonder what my mom did with all those. You know, yeah. uh, you 
know, and uh, and so I think that would be the measure, and, and probably, um, you know, I, the list for people that I have looked up to over the years that I've mentored um, to start naming. I, I I would I would feel um, I wouldn't feel right about it sure. because different stages of my life I had different people that mm. God put in my mm-hmm. life that I was able to to be a part of and uh, and that it, that helped me get to to that point that point in my life and um, and uh, but but mom and dad um, were were people that were just real and true and mm. were they perfect no no. I watched my dad overcome alcoholism. Uh, he's going to be nine. He just turned ninety-one. Good for him. And uh, a few years ago, got his fifty-five-year sobriety pin. Wow. And 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 he t- he took that, and and he and he 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 helped others. That's where I learned mm-hmm. to serve others. You know, he would he worked two forty-hour-week jobs, but yet when somebody he was sponsoring an alcohol anonymous called, we all knew. That if they called and said they were from the club, that we had to get our dad up and mm-hmm. he would get on the phone, knowing that he was going to have to get up and go to work uh, in a few mm-hmm. hours. He mm-hmm. he would take the time to reach out to that person, and and so I really, um, my mom and dad had a true impact on my yeah. life. It's amazing. And mm-hmm. and my mom, seventy six years old, she's legally blind, has macular degeneration, just retired from teaching, and the only reason she retired was because her vision's impaired mm-hmm. and so she can't drive anymore and my dad shouldn't be driving and uh so thank god he doesn't look the podcast because i'll be in trouble but uh, <laughs> but he shouldn't be driving and um but yet three days a week she goes to that school and volunteers and, and it helps special needs children mm-hmm. and and that's what a gift that they've given me yeah. um and I'm, i feel very blessed by that Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. that's incredible. Anything else before we let you go? Man, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to to be able to talk and, and, and uh, what you're doing and and uh, this is a, a this was a blessing to me today. It really was. Well, well likewise. Uh, we're very very grateful for you to set aside the time with your incredibly busy dolphin like schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we really do thank you for, for joining the podcast. I, I hope all of our listeners um, have, I know they're going to take something from it. I know that we have. Mm-hmm. So uh, we really do thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Hey guys, thank you for listening. One more thing before you go. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes in our archives at eversoncooper.com slash podcast. You can also find all past episodes on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please don't forget to send us a review and a rating. We are not trying to feed our ego. Just ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners that could benefit from what our guests have shared. And our guests then benefit more uh, from being on the podcast. So rate and review us on iTunes, podcast app, and all those other platforms I mentioned. Speaking of platforms, we would love it if you shared the Everson Cooper podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever social media you use. Lastly, if you want to receive a fresh new Everson Cooper podcast episode every Wednesday, be sure to subscribe and you will get the latest episode sent right to you automatically. Thanks for listening.